Well, today we reach the end of our uh, seven-week examination of uh, Romans um, chapter 8. And uh, to be honest, it could have been longer. We're going to have to go at a little bit of speed uh, to get to to the end of it uh, this morning. Romans 8 describes the life that we can expect as Christians. And every week I have suggested that actually we often don't grow as Christians partly because we just haven't really absorbed what God does and doesn't promise us. God promises us complete forgiveness. God promises us new life by his spirit. God promises us absolutely absolute security despite the fact that there will be suffering in our lives. And a Christian who has learned those things and has begun to live them will grow. The end of uh, Romans 8 in one sense tells us nothing new that we haven't uh, seen already but it summarises for us the solid conclusion that Paul has been driving towards actually since the very beginning of his book of, the, of, the, of this letter. The end of uh, Romans 8 then is going to tell us that though calamities and difficulties may hit us, God is still in control. If you're a Christian here this morning, God has got an absolutely firm, steady purpose for your life and he's not going to be diverted from it. So I want to ask you this morning, are you ready to live in the light of that? Are you ready to live in the light of the truths that Paul has uh, unfolded for us in Romans 8? And I want to do that by telling you a story. True story. It began a little after 8pm on Wednesday the 26th of April of this year. A truck on uh, Interstate 69, uh, Indiana, America, veered into the oncoming traffic and ploughed into a van carrying students and employees from a Christian university called Taylor University. Five people, including four students, were killed. One student, named as uh, Laura Van Ryn, was critically injured with head injuries and terrible burns to her face. And Laura's family kept a long vigil by her bedside. Five weeks later, just this last week, the injured uh, girl finally uh, regained sufficient consciousness to begin to speak. And on Tuesday of this week, Laura's family learned an extraordinary truth. The girl whose bedside they had sat at for five weeks was not their daughter Laura at all. But her very similar friend, uh, Whitney Serac. A funeral had been held 
back in April for Whitney but it had been Laura in the coffin. What an excruciating twist to a terrible tragedy. wonder how those two families would react. What, what, what will happen to the faith of those two families? Because both families were professing Christians. wonder what will be said uh, just in a few hours' time, actually, at Laura Van Ryan's memorial service when they finally get to mourn her death five, five weeks ago. I wonder what those two families think of God now. Not only taking a loved one, but that horrible trick of mistaken identity. Well, yesterday on Thought for the Day on the Today programme, I don't know whether you uh, heard it, Christina Rees of the Church of England tried to... um, Uh, uh, give some answers about God. I don't believe, she said, that God is a capricious cosmic potentate who dips in and out of our world choosing which tragedies to prevent and which to allow. Nor do I believe that God is a divine clockmaker who wound up the universe at the beginning of time and now sits back and watches it unwind. I believe that God is more like a risk-taking, vulnerable lover who brought this dangerous and beautiful universe into existence in such a way as to ensure the possibility of love freely given and freely accepted. And at first, such statements sound profoundly attractive because none of us wants to believe in a God who is a capricious cosmic potentate, do we? The idea of a a divine clockmaker who once made the universe wound it up but now um, has just left it to uh, unwound without any intervention is not only similarly unattractive but actually profoundly unbiblical. So if we're left, um, um, uh, if, if we want to dismiss those two options, perhaps, says Christina Rees, we are driven towards this image of a risk-taking, vulnerable lover of a God. But I have to say, I object. I don't object to his being described as a lover. He certainly is. God so loved the world, says John 3.16. don't object to him being described as vulnerable, Isaiah 63 verse 9 says God was distressed. Jesus wept at the, at the uh, tomb of his friend Lazarus. Now my problem is with that phrase, risk taking. It's one of the buzz phrases at the moment amongst uh, um, many theologians and it seems um, for Christina Reese too who are involved in a movement called open theism. Open theists insist that God interacts with um, his universe in an open way. God is not so much the sovereign Lord controlling every, everything, he is uh, just another player in the ongoing drama which is history. 
And crucially, they say, God doesn't actually fully know or fully control the future. The future, they say, is open in the sense that it is undetermined. John Frame, in commenting on this, um, suggests that it's, um, that, that word open is designed to make it sound terribly attractive, like open, um, uh, sweet-smelling meadows bathed with sunshine. But he says, actually, for some things, they are better closed. Fridges are better closed, or the food goes off. Car doors are better closed, or you fall out of them when it's moving. Safes are better closed, or a thief may uh, get in and steal your valuables. Prisons are better closed, or miscreants will be on the loose. Now, it sounds uh, attractive to suggest actually the universe may be open, but actually that is a terrible form of darkness. I want to suggest to you actually God doesn't take risks. Now the, the view of God as a risk taker not only contradicts text after text of scripture it actually makes the promises that God makes in scripture dissolve before our eyes. Think of a promise of Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, for instance. Jesus said, Not one sparrow will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. But open theists, and it seems Christina Reese as well, flatly contradict them. But contradict that. Sparrows do fall to the ground apart from God's will, they say. And not only sparrows, but precious young students in a minibus. All God can do is to try and clear up the mess afterwards. But actually, Jesus' admonition not to fear is predicated on his statement that not one sparrow falls even apart from the will of the Father. Now, in a world where God is not in control of the future, we need to be very afraid. Last week, we began, as we looked at the end of Romans 8, to look at what the Bible actually says about God's control over his world. And uh, uh, we saw that the Bible says very clearly, evil is real, evil is, is, is hostile to us, evil is nasty, evil is contrary to the, uh, to the will of God. But nevertheless, God keeps it under his control. He restrains it. He limits it. He surrounds it with his bigger good plan. Indeed, he amazingly uses things which are hostile to people and hostile to him and which he hates. He uses them nevertheless to build his big plan for our future which is good. 
There is no thing that ever happens in the whole of history, in the whole of our lives, which he is not able to use, despite it being evil, for our good. God does not take risks. Though for now, evil may have some sway in this world. It is not out of his grasp. It is not out of his foreknowledge of what will happen. And he uses everything for our main Good. Do you remember that uh, phrase from uh, Sibs from last week? From Maine. Good. Well, Paul continues that here. Let's imagine that Paul is now speaking to that, those grieving families. Those confused families. First of all, God says to them, uh, Paul says to them, God has an unstoppable plan. Verse 29. Those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Paul presents us with a chain here in which every link is unbreakably forged to the next. He speaks, first of all, of God foreknowing. He foreknew his people. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 says that it was before the creation of the world that he, uh, that he knew us. Those who propound a, a risk-taking, open God claim that he's ignorant of the future. No, 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 says Paul. He is not only all-knowing, he knew you. Billions of years before the stars even began to shine. He knew you. He foreknew you. Using that knowledge that God has of the future, says Paul, God predestined us. He made sure that his great plan for us to be conformed to the likeness of Christ would be watertight. As history unfolds, from our perspective, in our view, it seems random, it seems meaningless, it seems confusing. And there are many aspects of it that make us and God groan with frustration. We saw that two weeks ago. But actually God has woven it into a plan. A plan that involves you being here this morning. A plan that involved you, if you are a Christian, coming to trust Christ. A plan that still has 
a little bit more to happen. Those God predestined, he also called. When Paul speaks of God calling us, he means summoning us irresistibly. When you hear the call of God in the sense that Paul uh, uh, means it, when the Holy Spirit begins to work in your heart so that you not only hear the gospel you trusted, you cannot resist. Those he called, says Paul, he also justified. He justified us through Christ's death on the cross. Christ died for our sins. But he applied that justification to us because he gave us faith in our hearts that we could never manufacture, but that he created. Trust in Christ. And then the most extraordinary last link of his, uh, uh, of his chain is the last one. Those he justified, he also glorified, says Paul, using the same tense about something that actually is going to happen in the future. But as far as God is concerned, it is absolutely assured. If God has called us and God has forgiven us, made himself right with us, justified us, then God will glorify us. We will have a glorious resurrection life in eternity. God has stamped that on our lives. God has created a chain that goes back before history and continues beyond history. And it will not be broken. Now let's be clear, that is a promise only for believers. But if you are a believer, it is your promise. Do you think God, um, who knew those Christian students in that minibus billions of years before they ever existed, was taken by surprise by a truck driver falling asleep and veering into their path? He was not taken by surprise. It was not something that uh, uh, he had uh, uh, was unable to limit or control. Yes, it was evil. Yes, it was terrible. Yes, it is not going to be the character of his final creation. But no, it is not outside of God's control. A little truck cannot break that chain that Paul has just described. The Van Rhines, the family um, who discovered that the girl they, whose bedside they'd been sitting by for five weeks was not their daughter, who discovered that their daughter had died more than a month ago. They wrote this. For us, we will mourn Laura's going home 
and will greatly miss her compassionate heart and sweetness while knowing that she is safe and with her king forever. And we rejoice with the Seraphs that they have more time on this earth with their daughter, sister and loved one. How on earth could someone have such wonderful poise and grace as Christians? To be honest about their mourning, but at the same time rejoice for another family whose happiness has come at enormous personal cost to them. It's because they knew this God. Because they knew this God who does not let this wicked world get out of his control. They knew as well that God has demonstrated his unstoppable commitment to that. Verses 31 to 34. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that he was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. God, says Paul, didn't spare his own son but gave him up for us all. God was prepared to sacrifice his one and only son to forge that chain he has just described. Jesus himself, God the Son, was prepared to die on the cross to forge that chain. Isaiah 53 says it was God's pleasure that his son should die. Not because he took pleasure in that pain itself, but because he took enormous pleasure in through the suffering of Jesus. Forging that chain which unstoppably won our forgiveness justified us. There is no one left to condemn us, says the Apostle. Every accusing voice that might rise to the ear of God about us and let's be clear, there could be many accusing voices, could there, couldn't there? Every accusing voice that rises to God's ear receives the reply in the other ear from Jesus himself, I died for that sin. We cannot condemn a forgiven sin, a paid for sin. More than that, says the Apostle, God raised Christ to eternal resurrection life. Actually, he did it before hundreds of witnesses. 
God has given Jesus all things, says Paul, and along with, along with, the, uh, with him, he's going to graciously give us all things too. Not immunity from suffering now, but the final glory of resurrection life. Those are the facts, says Paul, about God. That is the historic, public demonstration that God has made of his commitment to that unbreakable chain. Laid out before the world 2,000 years ago. And those facts have changed the world. Those facts have transformed countless millions of people. Those facts have given innumerable people the most extraordinary confidence in the face of persecution and calamities of trials and death. Those facts tell us something absolutely extraordinary about God. God has laid his life on the line for you. Personally. God lays his life on the line for you. There is no one else who's going to have anything to say about it. So uh, Paul finishes this chapter, in fact the whole of uh, Romans 1 to 8, with an extraordinary and wonderful peroration about God's all conquering love. Let's just read it from verse 34 onwards. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written for your sake we face all day long we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No! In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God does not take risks. There's not time to analyse um, in detail what Paul, uh, uh, what Paul is, is saying here. And in, in a sense, it, we would miss some of the power of what he's seven, saying. He includes seven difficulties which may well come our way, which we may, we may well meet. Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. But none of them can separate us from God's, God's love. Paul includes four contrasting pairs in this list, trying to encapsulate the various dimensions of this universe under God. But none of them is bigger than God. Neither death nor life, he says, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, neither height nor depth. Nothing in the whole of God's creation, throughout the whole of eternity, is able to defeat God. His great eternal purpose, says Paul, is to love us. 
We will not be separated from the love of Christ. We will not be separated from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We will not be separated from God's eternal forgiveness. We will not be separated from the Spirit indwelling in our hearts who makes us cry out, Abba Father, as we saw a few weeks ago. We will not be separated from Christ's sacrificial love where he died on the cross for us. Nothing in all of creation, no trouble now, not even death in the future will separate us from the love of God. On the thought for the day yesterday, um, Christina Reese assured us that her risk-taking God was still there loving us. But actually on closer examination, the love she was talking about was, um, to be honest, little more than the anxious, fretful love that any parent will have for a child hovering between life and death in a hospital. It's real, it's precious, but it doesn't change the reality. And that is not the love that Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about a a hand grip from God that is so firm and so unbreakable he will never let it go. Paul is talking about an embrace from God which is absolutely unbreakable. Paul Paul is talking about a God who holds us close to himself and though trouble and difficulties may come our way, he will never let us go. He himself will carry us even through the last barrier, death itself, into glory. This is not the tentative sometimes despairing love of a God who faces an unknown future. This is the absolute, solid, certain, committed love of a God God who is the same yesterday, today and forever. I want to ask you a question. And it's, it's a question that really summarises what we have been learning over these last few weeks. It is simply this. Will you live in the light of that? Perhaps perhaps you personally have only got a few years left before glory. Some of us can be reasonably confident of that. Some of us might get caught by surprise. Why do you live them? 
give yourself to God in that glorious liberty of these Romans H truths. You, there is no condemnation outstanding for you. God has set his Holy Spirit on your heart so that actually you can find a delight in God and a love for God through the darkest moments, a delight that actually defeats sin in your life. God's love will never let you go. Live in the glorious liberty of that. Let love and faith and peace and sacrificial living overflow from your heart to the very last day that you breathe because it's only the last day in creation as it is. Most of us here have have, have the whole of our lives or most of our lives ahead of us. Take risks for God. Of course he's not calling us to be completely foolhardy but frankly God scorns the false securities that we surround ourselves with compared to the absolute security of, of a loving Lord Jesus Christ, a loving God our Father who holds us firm to himself. So love him with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. Take risks for him because that is the safest place to be. And maybe you're settling into middle life with all the constraints and responsibilities that that so often often involves. Continue to live free. Don't let your job or your mortgage or your worries of middle life restrict you and rule you. God has given you a role in this world, at work, in the family, in, in his church. Live it with freedom as a forgiven person, as a person who is assured glory as a person who actually will lose nothing in serving God every day of your life. If you're a Christian here, you will walk out of this room impregnable. I cannot tell you what will happen tomorrow, but I can tell you what will happen in eternity. Nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. You know, in the, in the, in the Western world, God's church is, is struggling in ways that it, it, it is not in much of the rest of the world. In much of the rest of the world, God's church is flourishing. And I'm sure there are many, many reasons for that. But I am absolutely certain that one of the reasons is because in the rest of the world, God's people have learned this and lived it now for generations. I could tell you about the, uh, um, uh, the man in the Cambodian army called Chirk Tang who when uh, the Khmer Rouge was uh, uh, taking over the, the country came to this country and pleaded with Western Christians to remember Cambodia but he said I must return and preach to my people. He went back, he witnessed to the refugees as they were being driven out of the city along the roads faithfully until he was chopped down and killed. No one knows where his body lay. But in Cambodia today God's church is flourishing. God's church is growing. God's church is exploding with life. 
I could tell you about the Christians in Rwanda who were, were prepared at the cost again of their own lives to bear witness to this God who was in control of their lives for whom serving him was absolutely no loss. And were cut down and killed. And yet today, in Rwanda, God's church is flourishing. God's church is growing. And then I look at the Western world. And I ask, will you be prepared to live in the confidence of Romans 8? And frankly, it is unlikely that you will have to, uh, will, will lose your life as a result of it. But you see, it is the test of our Christian maturity to whether we are prepared to believe what God tells us. In 21st century tradition, the Van Ryn family have been keeping a blog actually throughout the time that they were nursing the girl who turned out not to be their daughter. This is what they wrote on Thursday just after they'd found out that their daughter had died some time ago. They actually just quoted at length from Psalm 18. Let me read it. Remember, this is a bereaved family. In my distress, I call to the Lord. I cry to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. You, O Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God my Saviour. Therefore I will praise you among the nations, O Lord. I will sing praises to your name. And... uh, Uh, If you know about blogs, people can write responses. A woman in Sydney wrote this in response. She's not a Christian, clearly. I wish I shared your faith. In reading through this blog, it is obvious that there is something so special there and I wish I had it too. I came here saddened over your terrible circumstances and yet here I am wishing I had what you have. How can that be? How rich you are. Oh yes. 
when people know the promises that God makes in Romans chapter 8, they are rich. And the world sees they are rich. Do you know the riches you have? Will you live it? Let's pray.